Well, I think as has already been said, if you haven't been with us or you may be joining us for the first time this Sunday, we have started 2014 in a series, as you can see from the banners, called Give, Pray, Fast. And the idea behind this series is that we are simply looking at the words of Jesus as recorded in Matthew chapter 6, which is right smack dab in the middle of his famous Sermon on the Mount, where he gives his disciples, these disciplines, these practices, he highlights these three things that we can do as we seek to grow closer to the Lord. Now, of course, as we've said before, these aren't the only spiritual disciplines that we practice as Christians, right? If you recall, the very first, last Sunday of 2013, Pastor Lee did an awesome job reminding us we need to be in God's Word every day if we want to be growing as His disciples and so forth. But these are three that Jesus highlights here in the Sermon on the Mount. And throughout this series, we have been saying this sentence, and there it is again at the top of your notes. If you're following, when we give, pray, and fast, as Jesus teaches, it brings reward. It brings reward. We got that exactly from Jesus' mouth. That's what He promised. Listen, when you do these things, and the assumption is we will do them, right? It's a win thing. It's not an if thing. When we do those things, there will be a reward. And we've talked about what reward is and what it is. And in fact, if you weren't here the last two weeks, Jeff did a good job showing us how uh, in the discipline, in the practice, in the habit of giving, there's a, a reward involved to that. The reward in so many ways is that our hearts begin to open up to the people around us, to others, to the needs of this world. Our hearts get bigger and bigger for the things of God, and they also open up to Him. There is reward in those things. And this morning, as we continue this series, we get to the second practice that Jesus highlights for us, which is prayer. And as Brian mentioned, if you weren't here in the very beginning of the service, uh, this is an area at least in our church, but I'm going to guess all Christians would agree and say we want to grow in. Do you agree with that? I have never met anybody. I have never met anybody who would say, I have mastered this thing called prayer. <laughs> in fact, as a pastor, the thing I, one of the things I most often hear, no kidding, is I just don't know how to pray. Or uh, I need to pray more. How many of us don't say that? Right? I need to pray more. I don't know what the magic number is, but we all need to pray more, right? Or I, I don't know what to say when I pray. Can you relate to some of those things? I think we all can, and I want to tell you some good news. Did you know there was another group of people in the New Testament who had the same problem with prayer? And you might be surprised to find out who they were. Do you know who they were? They were Jesus' disciples. The 12 men that Jesus had handpicked to spread the gospel message. These 12 men that we so often put up on these pedestals and think, oh, they got it. They had it. I could never be Peter. I could never be John. Did you know there was a time when they were following Jesus and they asked him, would you teach us how to pray? Would you teach us to pray? They really had no idea, at least not praying like Jesus did. And so they asked him to that. That's why in Luke chapter 11, which is really a parallel passage to the one we're looking at in Matthew 6, when the disciples find Jesus praying, and did he do that often? They find him praying all the time. They muster up the courage. They muster up the courage and say, we want to learn to pray like that. You see, we've seen prayer our whole life, but there's something different about the way you pray, Jesus. Teach us to pray like that. Now that blows me away. I don't know about you, but if you understand the context of that time, I mean, these were good Jewish boys, right? 
All 12 of them were good Jewish boys. They knew how to pray, friends. They had been raised at an early time in their life to pray. They had memorized and recited prayers their whole lives at certain times throughout the day. And yet, when these Jewish boys see Jesus and the way he prays, they see something different and they know, that's how I want to pray. He knows something about prayer that I need to know. Now listen, that gives me great hope as someone who has not mastered prayer yet. It gives me hope that I too, and I hope it gives you hope too, that you too can learn how to pray. And the good news is, if you're following on your notes, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. So this morning, if you've been intimidated by prayer, you've wondered about the purpose of prayer, or you're just frustrated because you've never known how to do it, we are going to learn from the master of prayer how to pray. And I got to tell you, for some of you, there's going to be nothing new here this morning, but might I encourage you to examine your life and ask, is your prayer life gotten a little stale? Do you need the reminder what prayer is really all about? So listen, just as we did with giving, just as we're going to do with fasting on the first week of these series, uh, we are going to turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to First start with Jesus' words, then the next four weeks we're going to expand uh, this, this series on prayer. But Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. And just as we do every week, we want to mention to you, if you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, we provide some in the seat in front of you there. And Matthew 6 can be found on page 678 of that black Bible in the seat in front of you. And by the way, if you don't own a Bible... Take that one home with you uh, today. We'd love for you to have that as our, as our gift to you. Now, it might be appropriate for us as we learn how to pray that we first do that ourselves and ask God to guide us in this time. So let's bow our heads and ask Him to show us how to pray. Lord, I stand with my brothers and sisters in Christ this morning declaring to you we want to grow in this area. And it gives us great hope that so did your disciples. So just as you did with them thousands of years ago, just as you've recorded those words for us to use today, we pray that you would teach us how to pray. Teach us what this prayer thing really is all about. Help it not to be as intimidating for us anymore. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, of course, this section in Matthew, if you've glanced at it, is probably one of the most famous in all of the Bible because in it contains the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to get to the Lord's Prayer. However, I find it really interesting every time I've come to this section that before Jesus ever delves into the actual words we say when we pray, he gives a little bit of a heart check in the beginning. And he talks about what prayer is and what prayer is. And in other words, he tells us why we pray. And to do that, he gives us three reasons not to pray. Uh, The first one is found there in verse 5, which says, And when you pray, and again, the assumption is, is this going to be an if thing for us? It's a when thing. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. If you're following, the first thing Jesus says about prayer is, Prayer is not a show. It's not a show used to impress others. Prayer is not a show used to impress others. Listen, if your goal when you go to prayer is to impress God or to impress your 
spouse or to impress whoever might be hearing you pray, you've missed the whole point. You've missed the whole point. Now, Jesus is not forbidding public prayer here. We know that as a fact as the disciples in Acts. We read about them practicing that regularly as they met together as a church. What he's forbidding is praying in a way that seeks human praise as opposed to God's approval. Jesus says, it's a heart issue. And that's the wrong heart to come to prayer. I call these soapbox prayers. Soapbox prayers, you know. Again, we've we got to understand a little bit of the context here because this wouldn't really, I, I don't understand what Jesus is saying about the street corners and the synagogues. Uh, what happened, as I already mentioned here, is that a Jew was taught that they were to stop at certain times throughout the day and they were to offer a prayer to God, right? We see this in the book of Daniel. You see Daniel throughout the time, different times of day, he would, he would pray and yet we also see in Daniel, he would make sure when that time of day came, he was in uh, a private place. Now I got to just stop and pause here and say there's nothing wrong at all with that practice. In fact, I think it's a great practice. I know many people who set an alarm on their phone or they have little notes on their watches to remind themselves throughout the day, oh, I need to pause and pray. Friend, how does a discipline become a habit? How does a, a spiritual practice become a habit? I mean, we, we can do things like that. However, what had happened in Jesus' time is that people began to corrupt this. And here's what he's addressing. There would be certain people who would plan their whole day. They would plan their whole day so that they arrived at the busiest intersection of their town when one of those prayer times would go off, right? Imagine at the corner of Wabash and Veterans, I plan at 3 o'clock, I am going to show up right there so that they could then declare this incredible public prayer and everybody would look at them and go, wow, they are so spiritual. And people did that. Now, I don't think we fall into this exact trap today, but I think we can fall into the heart of this trap. Have you ever been around somebody or maybe you've done this yourself? Who of us haven't, quite honestly? where you have your normal speaking voice, but then when you go to pray in front of others, you all of a sudden become James Earl Jones or something, you know? <laughs> you know why do we do that? We, we get this prayer voice. Why? Well, the heart of it is we, we want to impress God. I mean, we want to impress others. Like, we're taking this seriously. But prayer isn't about trying to impress. And Jesus, I love what he says here. He said, if that's your goal then you've already got your reward. Maybe people are impressed. Whoop-de-doo. Big deal. In verse 7, Jesus addresses the second wrong motivation to pray. We're going to come back to verse 6. It says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. I love that word babbling in Greek. It's the verb batalogeo. You want to say that with me? Batalogeo. Doesn't that just sound like babbling? It means literally to just talk and talk and talk with no real purpose. And it was, again, being taught that if you use more words, especially if they were really flowery and dramatic, then you would get God's attention. And Jesus also puts an end to that. He says, if you're following there, God is not bribed. I mean, isn't that what that is? I just got to talk more to get God's attention. Isn't that just bribery? Or i got to use certain words to unlock the secret of prayer. No, he is not bribed by wordy, superficial prayers. Don't babble on and on and on 
thinking that's what is going to get God's attention. And don't think using those big fancy words. He's going to be impressed by that. Several years ago, you remember Geico came out with those commercials where they would have a person telling their story and then they would hire an actor to tell it a lot more dramatically. Do you remember that? Well, the church did a a parody on those commercials exactly on this issue with prayer. So take a look at this. Joel Carpenter is a new Christian, so to help him pray, we've hired that super pastor guy you see on TV. God, please help my marriage. We're just really struggling right now. Oh, Heavenly Father, He who's created all things, makes the sun and moon rise at His command. I beseech you, take this woman that you've given to me as a helpmate and bring her to her senses that we might abide together forever in a purpose-driven marriage. God, I'm really frustrated at work. Help me find a new job. I ask you now, in this area of employment, thee who gives me the sustenance in an employer fashion, please guide me to something, if it be your will, that would bring you glory. My kids are driving me crazy, and I, I don't know what to do. You just help me out. You have blessed me also with many young saplings, and I ask it this day that you would help me and my helpmate to raise them in the way of your word. Amen, God. And now I end this time with you, Lord, bowing before you, giving you all that you deserve in sacrifice and in sacrament. Let it be known that the Alpha Omega is pleased. Amen. God go. Real people, real prayers. I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? And yet, I think there is that tendency in all of our lives when we hear somebody pray or something to go, oh, they've really got it. God must be in heaven right now thinking, why can't more people pray like that? Jesus says, no. No, he's not bribed by these wordy, uh, superficial Prayers. The third thing Jesus says about prayer is that prayer is more than just asking God for what I want. I get this from verse 8, which says, Do not be like them, the people who pray with the wrong motivations, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now listen, this does not mean we aren't to bring our needs before God. We're going to learn in just a few verses in the Lord's Prayer. We absolutely do that in prayer. What he's warning against here is simply reducing prayer down to that. Yet how many of us do that, right? We, we reduce prayer down to just telling God what I want. Listen to this story. It's kind of a parable uh, in, in a sense. Can you imagine being in this situation? It's Ken and Janet's first date. Ken, a successful stockbroker, met Janet, a tax lawyer, at their company Christmas party. After driving up to Janet's townhouse, Ken knocks on her door and then escorts her to his car. After they've both comfortably been seated, he turns to Janet and says, I really look forward to spending time with you. I've met several of your co-workers who speak highly of you. I've also read your resume, and I'm very impressed. One thing I've learned is that you're an excellent tax attorney. I need help on my tax return, which is due next week. I brought it along so you can check it out for me. I'm wondering, how can I take a few more deductions? And also, could you give me some advice on my child custody suit? I also heard you're a great homemaker. Since I've been really busy this week and didn't have a chance to do my wash, I brought it along with me. By the way, I like a little starch in my collars. 
Oh, and one more thing. Since you're a gourmet cook, could you make me a crab dip for next Tuesday? I'm entertaining some important customers that I really want to impress. Well, I've really enjoyed our time together. In fact, I'd like to do this again sometime. How about the same time and same place next Saturday? Opening her car door, Ken walks Janet back to her house. Talk about the worst first date ever, right? And yet, I'd be the first to confess, sometimes that's exactly what my prayer life looks like. God, it's great to see you again. I need this, I need that, I need that. See you tomorrow when my needs fill up again, right? I know some of you have heard this before, uh, but early on in my walk with Christ, I sort of had this picture of God as this giant vending machine in heaven. He was not a personal God to me. He was this giant vending machine in heaven, and when I popped in the right change, you know, the right prayer, the right bribe, the right whatever, then out would come my request. And Jesus says, ugh, that's not what prayer is about. It's not about getting God to do stuff for you. He's not a vending machine. Be careful if that's the reason for your praying, because prayer is so much more than that. So what is the purpose of prayer? Why do we pray? What is the right heart to bring into prayer? Well, Jesus, in my opinion, answers that in verse 6. Would you read it out loud with me on your notes there? It says, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. If prayer is not for show, if it's not to impress, if it's not to bribe, if it's just not to tell God all the things I want, then what is it? And if you're falling on your notes, the heart of prayer, the heart of prayer is to connect personally with the Father. That's it. It's to connect personally with the Father. Friends, Look up from your notes once you finish writing. I, just, I have to say something to some of you because you've never heard this before. And I don't want you to hear the next five weeks of prayer and learn how to pray and do all these things until you truly understand this. What prayer is, is God's invitation into a personal relationship with Him. That might be the only thing you need to hear today or about prayer, period. It's just a chance. It's a gift. I mean, we call it a spiritual discipline. Ugh, it's a gift. That God has given us to commune, fellowship with, worship, be with Him. Practically, this means, Jesus says it here, making time to get alone with Him. Right? You see that? Go in your room, close the door. Go in your room, close the door, get alone with God. Can I ask you, how's that going for you? I mean, we just did a survey. It says, we want to learn how to pray. Friends, before we even can talk about the words we say when we pray, it comes down to setting aside some time each day, getting alone to be with God who invites you into that kind of a relationship. How is that going for you? I got to tell you, when I started doing that early in my life in high school, when I set aside a portion of my day each day to re be in Scripture, uh, to pray, to practice some other uh, disciplines as I've grown and those kind of things, it is finally when it dawned on me that what we're doing here is not religion. It is not ritual. It is relationship. 
What God wanted from me was a personal relationship with him. Friend, the goal of prayer is not to get good at praying. It's not to set records in how long you can pray. It's not to set records for how early you can get up in the morning to pray. The goal of prayer is simply to connect with the Father who invites you to do that with Him, to get alone with Him. Because in Christ, that's exactly what we can do. If you're following on your notes there, prayer is accepting God's invitation to spend time with Him. That's it. Several years ago, I went to a uh, governor's prayer breakfast. And I had this wild thought, like, what if I went up to the governor and I said, hey, what would you think if we ditched these hundreds of people and you and I just go grab breakfast in the room next door? I'd like to get to know you a little more. What would his response be? Are you crazy? I don't have time for that. I'm a busy man. I got things to do. I got people to see. My schedule is packed. Now just pause and think about this amazing truth. The governor of the cosmos the Lord of the universe. He says, I have time for you. Set aside some time every day to be with me. And we'll have breakfast. We'll fellowship with each other. We'll communicate together. We'll worship. I've got time in my calendar. Do you? Do you? Friends, I just get down to the heart of it right here. I'd hate for you to spend your whole life and miss that this is all about a relationship with God. That's what the gospel is. It's the good news that God became personal for us. We get to spend time with him. When I was a kid, I don't know about you, I know not all of you had great family situations, great dads that you look to and you know, say, well, that's how I picture God. Uh, I didn't have a perfect dad. None of us did. But I loved spending time with my dad when we had those times, right? I can still remember we'd go on like camping trips. I can remember that. Those were precious times with him, right? Why? Because it was a chance for us to connect. And I want you to hear, God would love nothing more than to spend time alone with you. And you can do that every day. You can do that whenever you want. I don't know about you, but viewing prayer this way for me, makes it so less intimidating. What do we have to fear? What do we have to be intimidated by? I don't have to be all wordy. I don't have to be all flashy. I don't have to have all the right words to say. I don't have to bribe him. I just set aside some time to be with God. Now, I know what you're thinking. That's great. I understand. The reason we pray is to be alone with the Father. We set aside time with the Father. However, here's what it still comes down to, right? I've got to say something when I get there. And that's the part, you know, I've always just like, I don't know what to do then. Okay, I've set aside the time, and now it's like, I don't know what to say. Well, thankfully, Jesus doesn't leave us hanging. And in verse 9 and following, he offers us some suggestions about how we can pray when we do set aside the time to be with him. It's called the Lord's Prayer. Have you ever heard of it? Perhaps you have it memorized. How many of you have the Lord's Prayer memorized? Yeah, we, we recite it. But i got to tell you something. What Jesus gave us in these next verses was never meant to be a formula that we then memorize and recite back to God 
in order to get his attention, right? Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with reciting the Lord's Prayer together. We're going to do that at the end of this service. That's not what I'm saying at all, but how many of you have ever found yourself in the situation where you're reciting the Lord's Prayer and you haven't thought once about what you're saying? Because you just know it. I mean, this happens on Sunday mornings, too. I can be singing a song. I'm praising and declaring God's greatness, and I realize I don't even know what I just said. And didn't Jesus just warn us about that? It's that babbling, right? I just babble. I'm just saying the Lord's Prayer, but I don't even know what I'm saying. Again, nothing wrong with saying the Lord's Prayer. Verbatim, if it's coming from your heart. If it's really coming from your heart. The reason I argue this is because in Luke chapter 11, which I've already mentioned, a parallel passage, Jesus gives us a different version of the Lord's Prayer. It's not the same. And you don't see the disciples going, Ah, Jesus... Don't you know the Lord's Prayer? You miss that. You miss that one part. No, why? Because it wasn't meant to be a formula. In fact, here's what I'd like us to consider. If you're on your notes, the Lord's Prayer is not a formula. It's a framework. It's a framework for prayer. I have in mind a picture frame, just like the one you see up on the screen right here. It's a picture frame, right? A, a picture frame holds in a picture. In the same way, the Lord's Prayer is a framework for us when we go to God in prayer, how to pray. You know, the, Jesus doesn't say this is what you should pray. He says this is how you should pray. And he offers us this framework. And with that in mind, uh, I f- really see three sides to this framework. I know that ruins is my whole illustration right there. Can you just picture a frame with three sides instead of four? And the first one is found in verse 9. Where do we start in prayer? Let's read it out loud together on our notes. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. If you're following again, Jesus teaches that we should start prayer. Start prayer by declaring God's greatness. By declaring God's greatness. Just spend some time acknowledging God. I could say so much this morning about that one line right there our father in heaven i know you, you i know you know i could we could be here all day but let me just point out to you two incredible things that are just in those four words the first two our father some of you know the word jesus used there in hebrew is what abba which also means daddy that is audacious Never before in human history had another human being referred to the God of the universe, the Lord, Yahweh, as Abba. And yet Jesus did right there, you know. We go, well, that's, that's okay for him. He's God's son. And yet, who is he teaching how to pray here? And what's the word that comes before it? Our Abba. He invites us. To call the God of the universe, Abba. And he finishes that sentence before we get too flippant in how we view God, right? He finishes that with those next two words, which is in heaven. Which reminds us, he is not like my earthly father. Who many of us wronged us, hurt us, set a bad example for us. He is in heaven which also reminds us that He is eternal. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the King of all kings. He is mighty. He is our Daddy in heaven. I cannot wrap my mind around that. If you're a theologian, you know we call this the transcendence and imminence of God. 
God has made himself fully known. He is imminent. We can call him daddy. He is personal. And yet he is completely transcendent as well, right? He is other. There is no other being like God. I am not like God. He is holy. He is set apart. And yet Jesus says, when you pray, our Father in heaven. And then the next line there is, hallowed be your name. Declare his greatness. Declare his greatness. We don't use the word hallow anymore today. They didn't misspell hello. Hallow just means to declare holy, to set apart, to acknowledge as different as God, to revere, to worship, to reverence, to glorify. And what this suggests, again, as I said about prayer, is that prayer should include a time of worship and reverence. A time of worship and reverence, of declaring God's greatness. And again, this doesn't have to be flowery or dramatic. I know you're all getting the cold sweats right now, right? What do I say? I don't know what to say. Well, let me ask you, have you ever seen a really beautiful sunset? Would it be appropriate when that's happening, when a moment like that's happening throughout the day, simply to pause and thank God for the beauty of his creation? That's hallowing God's name. That's praising God's name. It's declaring God's greatness. Or have you been blessed by something lately in your life? You can praise God, declare His greatness by just pausing and saying, God, you are a good God. You have been faithful to me in this way. One of the best things I ever started doing in my own personal walk is that I started to take note of the names of God that are used in the Bible, as I'm reading the Bible every day, uh, or the attributes of God that are described there. In fact, on the back of your notes, you'll notice I, I just put like 30 or so there. It's all I could fit. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. And they can be incredible springboards for you and for me in our times of prayer for praise, to declare His greatness. There might be one on that list right now that stands out to you, and you go, wow, why is that impacting my heart? Why is that jumping off the page? God, I want to spend some time in that. I'm going to declare, you are my Redeemer. You're my Redeemer. Well, whoa, that means you bought me back. That means, and you go off in a time of praise. I would also tell you this, and I'm not embarrassed to tell you this, every once in a while when I'm praying, the first thing I'll do is I'll turn on a great praise song or a hymn, and I'll start my time of prayer singing by myself. Did you know that we don't have to just worship publicly in song? You can do that by yourself. That's a way to declare God's greatness. Next week, we're actually going to, part two of this prayer series, I'm going to speak on praying the Psalms. We have 150 chapters of some of the most beautiful prayers ever recorded. And God loves nothing more when we take his word and pray it back to him. So there's so many ways. And isn't the Psalms just filled with praise? So so many ways. We Be creative in your praise. Now I'm going to venture a guess about your prayers because I know about mine. We don't spend a whole lot of time here, do we? It's, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. And now I got some stuff. But Jesus says, look, a great starting point for prayer is to spend some time declaring God's grace, greatness. And you know what I've discovered when I've done this? Maybe you have too, for those of you who do this. It suddenly puts my little problems, my little issues into a whole new perspective. I am speaking to my Father who is in heaven. Second 
part of prayer Jesus comes to is in verse 10. And I got to say, for me, this is the central part of prayer. Would you read verse 10 out loud with me on your notes? It says, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. How many times have you said that in your life? We just sang it this morning. How many times have you said it? Thousands? Do we realize what we're saying? (laughs) Do we realize what we're saying? Your kingdom come over mine. God, I've built up all my little kingdoms. I've got all my agendas. I've got all my plans today. I've got my family. I've got my business. I've got my friends. I've got my will. And Jesus says the second thing you do in prayer is you surrender all of that to him and say your kingdom, your will. If you're following on your notes there, Continue prayer by surrendering your life entirely to God. Say to him, I want to know your agenda for my family, for this relationship, for my money, for my business, for my career. Listen, before I get to all this stuff that's been pressing on me this last week, I am first going to pause and surrender it to you. Listen, look at me for just a second. This is where life change will happen for you. We say as Christians, we are being conformed into the image of Christ. That is our purpose, right? Well, we can't do that unless we surrender our lives to Him. And I don't know about you, this is a daily thing for me. Sometimes multi-daily thing for me. Because I got all kinds of kingdoms and agendas and wills that I'm going after. We say we're declaring war on shallow Christianity As a church, beginning with ourselves, this is where it happens. It's in surrender. It's where we stop viewing God as my Savior who gave me my ticket out of hell and start viewing Him as Lord, which is what He demands from me as His disciple. Where I align my whole life around His kingdom and His will and His purposes. In fact, if you're following there, prayer gets us into alignment with God's will and purposes. Now, here's the really hard question. Do I really want that? Do you? Far too often, this is how I pray. My kingdom come, my will be done. On earth, because I really don't care about heaven that much right now, because I'm still kind of young. And give us today our daily bread, and don't lead me into temptation, because you know I can find that all by myself. Jesus says, you want to know how to pray effectively? First, remember who you're praying to. Declare the greatness of our Father who is in heaven. Then I want you to do the next logical thing. Listen, if that's who God is, how can I not surrender my life to him? How can I not? You know, we have a great high priest, Hebrews says, Jesus, who underwent everything we have undergone. He's gone through every temptation And when I think about this whole idea of surrendering my will to him, I want to push back. I remember Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane, who facing death on a cross for me, for you, what did he pray to his Father? Your will be done. Your will be done. He set the example for us, friends. I imagine right now, if you're open to the Holy Spirit's leading in your life, you're sensing an area probably that you have not surrendered to him. You know what it is. 
My question to you is, are you going to surrender? Are you going to continue to live? My will be done. My will be done. It's a daily battle. And it's not until we get those two things down, Jesus moves to the third aspect of prayer. And this is the one we usually rush right to. Let's read it out loud together in verses 11 through 13. It says, Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have given our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's usually where I start my prayers, right? Give me, give me, give me. But Jesus says, listen, there is a time to come with your requests before God, but it comes after you spend a little time remembering who you're talking to. And more specifically, after you've surrendered your will to him. I could speak for weeks on each of these petitions. You're like, oh, we only got like seven minutes left. How are we going to do this? Well, listen, when I boil those three things down, it comes down in my mind to one word, which is the word dependency. It's this prayer of dependency. If you're on your notes there, finish prayer by admitting your complete dependence on God. You see, what Jesus did there is he broke down our whole lives into three areas. First, he takes about, talks about our physical life, right? Give us today our daily bread. We will never become so spiritual that we don't need to ask God to provide for us physically. Do you know that? Some of us as Americans, you know, we... We don't even think about that. Maybe we just need to pause and thank him for what he has provided us. He has been a good God and provided us. He provides us with food and shelter and so many other health, a body, air, so many physical things that God has given us, and we are dependent upon him for those things. Secondly, he talks about our relational dependence. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I love that right there. That covers both the vertical aspect of my relationship with God. Forgive us. Our debts, because God, I am a sinner in need of grace. And apart from you, I cannot have it. Forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me. And yet, he also deals with the horizontal aspect of our entire relational world there, doesn't he? As I forgive others. Now, I could spend weeks talking about that issue right now, but the big idea, and Jesus addresses that in verses 14 and 15, is listen, If God has been so good to give us his mercy and grace, how can we not do the same for others when we've surrendered our lives to him? Our relational world. We're dependent upon him for our relationships, aren't we? And then last but not least, he deals with our spiritual dependency. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Friends, the minute we walk out this door, the minute we walk out this door, we are facing a world where we are flowing against it. Right? I'm flowing against my flesh. I'm flowing against the things of this world. We have an enemy, the evil one, who is seeking to destroy me. And so part of what I pray for every day, God, give me the power and strength that I need to win this spiritual victory. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. He lives in me even now. Now let me walk in that power. I am dependent upon you. So if you're falling on your notes, I would just ultimately say, This section of the Lord's Prayer teaches us we can pray for our physical, relational, and spiritual needs. That pretty much covers my life. I can bring God my life in prayer and acknowledge that I need Him. As we close, I just want to leave you again with what I hope you understand is the big idea behind prayer as we go into these next four weeks. 
And that's that it's simply a, your father's invitation. Your father's invitation to spend some time with him. It's just having a conversation with your dad, who also happens to be the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the God of all gods. There's no reason to fear. There's no reason to be intimidated. Amen? It's just bring in the real you to the God who loves you and proved it to you by sending his son. The question is, though, if you're following, will you accept God's amazing invitation to connect in prayer? Let me close with a quick story. Starting uh, in January, our family for this year, uh, for our devotions and I, we've been going through what's called the Shorter Catechism. Some of you are like, huh? Some of you know the Shorter Catechism. I mean, there's a whole spectrum here. Simply, a catechism is simply asking questions that have answers to them, you know, that help us to learn about God, that help us to learn uh, about theology. It's just a great way to have family discussion. And, and so the very first question on the Shorter Catechism, some of you have heard this before, is what is man's primary purpose? What are we here for? Basically, that's the question, right? And, you know, I asked this to my kids, you know, what do you think the answer is? And they, they got the first one. I think we all get the first one. If we've grown up in church, especially, we get the first one. Man's primary purpose is to glorify God, right? I mean, that's what I got to do. I got to glorify God. I, I do that by obedience. I do that by following Him. I do, 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 do. I glorify God. And I'm, then they were stumped. Well, what's the second part? Is it to love God? Well, that's part of, part of it. Uh, is it to obey God? No, we've covered that part. And the answer, some of you know, is what? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's my purpose. That's your purpose. And to see the look on my kid's face, you know, it's just like this confusion. <laughs> God wants to enjoy me? He's your Abba in heaven. And I can enjoy him? Yes, he's personal. It's about a relationship. And I just want to close with that thought for you this morning, this afternoon. Prayer is about a relationship. And it's an amazing opportunity for you to enjoy the Lord, isn't it? Let's stand together as we close this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we will say the words of the Lord's Prayer out loud together uh, on the screen. So let's bow our heads and pray first. Lord, we have asked you to teach us to pray this morning. And I pray as we leave this place now, that we would not be intimidated. We would not be fearful. That we would simply see prayer for what it is. It's your invitation to us. Father in heaven, to connect with you, to enjoy you forever. Let us go remembering that this week with anticipation and joy. And now, with one voice, we pray these words together on the screen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as also forgiven our debtors. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. If you'd like prayer after the service, we have a prayer team will be down front. Otherwise, God bless you this week. Go in peace.